Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Sound of the Bells, ringing in one more edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. This is the opening strains to A Christmas Story, based on the works of renowned Midwestern writer Gene Shepard. Stay tuned, coming up on Filmically Perfect, we will find out exactly why this movie is perfect in every way. Stay tuned for J. Todd Anderson and George Willeman, Filmically Perfect, coming up on YSO. house at good old Cleveland Street. How could I ever forget it? And there I am, with that dumb round face and that stupid stocking cap. Oh, but no matter. Christmas was on its way. Lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas around which the entire kid year revolved. Indeed, it's true. And on that note, we welcome uh, right here in the studio, Mr. George Willeman, film archivist, nitrate film archivist for the Library of Congress. George, welcome. Welcome, Nikki. And by very long distance over the phone lines in the gorgeous Los Angeles, J. Todd Anderson, welcome. Hello, Nikki Dakota. Thank you so much for joining us uh, at the long distance today in time for this Christmas season and our very special edition all month long of the best of Christmas movies. Gentlemen, uh, I have to tell you, I've been really absorbing this movie over the last couple of weeks. Well, it's not going to be hard because it's on all the time. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, they have it on a marathon day on one of those television stations. So absorbing it is an understatement. <laughs> right. Like by osmosis at this point. Yeah, but really lovely. Just have been enjoying it as a Midwesterner, as we all are. George, J. Todd. Yep. We all grew up in the Midwest, so uh, the thing is it has resonance with us, but beautifully it also has resonance uh, far beyond these small environs and uh, well into the country and beyond. Marathons that uh, begin 24 hours on some stations, they play this movie over and over. Um, it's TNT that has, has done the 24-hour marathon. I, I have not read if they're going to do it again this year, but I don't see why they wouldn't. Think about well, it. they're talking about expanding it to every day of the year. Every day of the year. Yeah, the Christmas <laughs> movie channel. Day. The Christmas story channel, yes. <laughs> First, before we uh, delve into exactly why this movie is perfect, and I do agree, wholeheartedly agree, let's take a moment to consider that this is not arbitrary. This does not come out of thin air. This is not just a whimsical uh, flight of fancy of the imaginations of J. Todd and George Willeman. It is indeed uh, by very strict rules. And if we could have those gentlemen. Rules of perfection. Right. for perfect movies. That's right. And the first one is these perfect movies create the world they exist in. And these perfect movies wholly sustain that world. And regardless of changes in society, they maintain their... Relevance. Relevance. Meaning and interview value. value. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. We know these so well by this point. We know them so well that indeed... And of course they are never, ever ever numerically ranked one better than the other because they are perfect in their scale. That's right. 
Which I have to tell you, I really particularly like about this whole uh, endeavor of yours, this filmically perfect, this notion of a perfect movie. It's not a competition. It is judged each on their own sort of self-contained merit. So tell me. And we put them on the list when we, when we see them. We, we approve them. Go, we go through this extensive board kind of council thing. Yes. And uh, <laughs> after all, the 150 people say, well, yeah, what do you guys think? We say, we think it's a perfect movie. Yeah. Indeed. So the list is growing slowly, though. Slowly, though, right? I mean, well, it oh, yeah. takes 20 years. You it know? Takes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken us 20 years to get this far. I don't, I don't know that we have 100 films on it yet. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, when this movie came out, George and I thought it was a perfect movie right from the get-go. Yeah, I will I will admit that, and it this was a hard we college, one. And we always appreciated this movie, so it, it, it got on the list pretty early. And, you know? and when this movie came out, it, it sort of was a hard one to see because, once again... Uh, as with with our film of last week, Miracle on 34th Street, the studio didn't really have a lot of faith in it, released it a little early. They released it like Thanksgiving time, and by the time Christmas came, it was out of the theaters, and they got a lot of complaints that it wasn't around for people to see. Yeah, and, and boy, I'll tell you, look at it now. They yeah. got the, the place in uh, Cleveland, and, and you can go see the house, and there yeah. all these commercials are knocking it off. And, uh, up, and you can get you know, Christmas ornaments. Those, those and clever people in the studio, those upper, upper middle management people yeah. who are paid to make these huge <laughs> decisions because a movie is like either a winner or a loser. We're all like thumbs down, you know? Yeah. Cross the throat kind of thing on this movie. But boy, it just shows you, you know, you can't never tell. It has staying power beyond anything any of the makers imagined. I, uh, I had a chance to and, see some of the... You the, know, interesting, as we, we've been uh, going to saying lately, this film is was never successful when it came out just like a miracle on 34th street and a lot of our other films it's taken a lot of time for uh this, these films to be appreciated and this is one of them and a lot of them are on our list you know this just happens to be one of them let's consider that this um as we said as in the intro is based on the works of gene shepherd a writer from indiana right. um who really was more famous for vignettes i've heard him called i think was it your words i kind of think he's, he's sort of like the the sort of a 50s version of Garrison Kaler, weaving these stories of life in the Midwest and growing up in the small town, you know, completely different from from any sort of big metropolitan center like New York or even Chicago or Los Angeles. And and he always finds this great humor in the sort of foibles and and day-to-day activities of these little ordinary people in these little ordinary towns. And in his case, it's it's sort of a, a mock-out of his own hometown of Hammond, Indiana, this little fictional town of Holman, Indiana, which I believe is a play on the title of the Indiana State theme song, which I think is Holman, Indiana. It is, as yes. a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> Back home Only in Jim Indiana. Neighbors isn't singing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing... Not in this movie, folks. Interestingly, <laughs> this um, Bob Clark, the uh, producer, director, co-writer, eventually, right? Of this movie, correct. He uh, became a fan of of Gene Shepherds by hearing something he'd done on the radio. He had one of those what we call driveway moments where he could not leave the car. In fact, began to drive around. Was late for a date because he couldn't quit listening to this completely compelling story. Ultimately, the the action in this movie was was never something written straight out by Gene Shepherd, but instead a composite of of all these little amazing vignettes that come together just almost. In the, in the most beautiful, almost magical way, but they were never meant to be whole, and yet they are, and amazing to watch from start right. to finish. In, in fact, uh, some of them, like the, the beloved uh, leg lamp section of the story, <laughs> uh, comes from another 
film based on a Gene Shepard work called Phantom of the Open Hearth, which also is the same family. It's the Parker family, but in that one, Ralphie's going to the prom. And in the middle of that one, uh, Dad gets the major award, and it's the leg lamp. And that that film was made back in the early 70s. And, and that for- leg lamp is really hot now. I mean, I yeah, I think you get an article in the New York Times yesterday <laughs> about you know going to Cleveland. They can, I think you can buy one of those leg lamps up there. I, I think you really can buy true? you can buy three or four different sizes to fit any decor, <laughs> from like a little leg lamp and, and all the way up to an exact replica. Tattoos on them. Yeah. That's what I understand. <laughs> In fact, I believe one of the sponsors of the Christmas Story House, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, is Red Rider Leg Lamps. Yeah, yeah. that's what I did. Why not? <laughs> yeah. So Red Rider and Leg, Lamp, uh, Leg Lamps figuring in prominently in this sort of um, patchwork of vignettes that was stitched together by Gene Shepard. I wonder Shepherd. if they saw glasses up there, George, that had, like one lens is broken. One lens is broken. Get one. Well, they also have like uh, you know, frozen Oldsmobiles uh, on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, given that it's so many little Let's parts, get a shoots his eye out. <laughs> the shoots his eye out is it just really the sort of thread that binds this whole movie together. Now, given that it was created, <laughs> yeah, it is, is, isn't the, it? That is the thread that binds the whole movie together. Shooting your eye shooting out. Shooting your eye out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just resonates through every corner. Now, given that it was sort of taken from little pieces that were never meant to be a part of a whole, George, could you sort of sort of try to sort of sketch this? It's it's almost like an it's just sort of an everyday, isn't it? I mean, it is. It's basically as as we said, the the main uh, thrust of the story is Ralphie Parker, who wants a Red Rider double action single shot. Air rifle. Two hundred. Yeah, yeah. Red Rider, George. Red Rider was. Just tell the audience because this okay. is a modern audience, man. Some people are forgetting. Red Rider was a, a comic strip character back in the thirties and forties. Uh, he also had a series of films, and um, and I he believe a also cowboy, a red. Right? He's a, a cowboy. cowboy. He's a cowboy, and he had a little uh, little Indian boy that went with him named Little Beaver, who in the movie <laughs> series was played by Robert Blake. Oh, how this about back that? In the 40s also, how about yeah. that? But yeah, the, that was before his before yeah. dilemmas. The uh, but the day but <laughs> before he used his rifle. own guns for yeah the Daisy Air Rifle com- Company uh, contracted with the owner of Red Rider to create this special edition Red Rider uh, BB gun, not just for the movie. There actually was one in in real life too. But um, but Ralphie wants his gun, and every time he goes to an adult or an authority figure or someone, he is always uh, rebuffed with the. Uh, with the, the constant, uh, you'll shoot your eye out. Why do you want that? You'll shoot your you'll eye shoot out. You'll shoot your eye out, boy. Everybody says it to him. But but in between these little episodes, there's also just his basic everyday's going on, which is just the kind of typical things in the life of a child, you know. Uh, yeah, comes up against a bully. Uh, and elements of, of these stories is, is like when they have a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that yes, becomes a very pointed one because you know he says he says a bad word the 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 queen mother of dirty the words. Queen mother. Yeah, and it's and it's so described. it's so well and boy, played. Boy, you know I don't know if any of you guys out there have ever had your mouth washed out with soap, but I have, and it's uh, no really? yes. it is no fun. No, it's have better. you, George? Uh, many years ago, yes, no. I did. See, I can't decide whether that's some route to go. I haven't come to that that <laughs> fork in the road yet. Then, you know, my parents had to tell me use the soap on your skin, son. <laughs> use it on your skin. Don't don't stick it in your don't mouth. Don't think about that anymore. <laughs> 
So that boy of ours, we've got to get him straight one of these days. <laughs> We're talking about A Christmas Story, a perfect movie, according to Jay Todd Anderson, speaking via the phone line from Los Angeles today, and also perfect, according to Mr. George Williman, who, uh, in their list of uh, very slowly growing, but uh, rock solid, I have to say, gentlemen, I have not disagreed with you yet. A Christmas Story certainly falls. Amazingly uh, solid storytelling, yes. you know, from Isn't the holidays. And, the, and, you know, and, my, one of my personal favorite visual scenes is when the foot comes into the lens. Yeah. It'll shoot your eye out. <laughs> that is so cinematically well done. To and this kicks day. him I mean, down the shoot. on a nice wide lens, and, and, and all the elves look evil, and... And, and for a lot of people who, who really love this movie, they would probably be very surprised to know about the director of it, Bob Clark, uh, to whom this is probably his his best loved and best not his not his best known movie. I mean, the money that the, the the film that got him the notoriety to make this movie was quite a different movie. It was Porky's. Porky's. And he had been directing for almost 20 years before he did Porky's. Uh, he did another Christmas movie back in the 70s called Black Christmas <laughs> or Silent Night, Evil Night. Um, he also he also made um, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things, which so he, he is remaking. So he had something of a dark past, this this, yes. uh, this filmmaker. But he yeah, always wanted all, to you know, all that stuff. But this is my, it is my assumption here that this is the movie he will be remembered by. I would say. I think even, that's fair. I mean, he even went and tried to recreate the success of this with another Gene Shepard movie called It Runs in the Family. It's also called oh, Summer, Summer Story. Summer Story, yeah. And it just, from what I That's I, about I have, shooting deer. Yeah. I have oh, not seen only it. Only kidding, only kidding. <laughs> I've not seen that one, but I know that even Gene Shepard kind of went, well, it wasn't very good. So it's out there. It's available to be seen, but it just didn't have the the legs that this movie does. Apparently, after Orlando. his other, his, his filmmaking past, he took quite a lot of heat for making Porky's. In fact, uh, it was accused of being a sellout. But ultimately, um, he contends that, well, I may have sold out, but what it gave me was the luxury to make a Christmas story on my own terms, in my own time, at uh, in my own way, and he certainly did. Uh, Jay Todd, this this film was made on an extremely small budget. And uh, I wonder. Well, I tell you, whenever you hear people sort of, he sold out, he sold out, you know, those are, that's a very small percentage of the population, especially when the movie makes a lot of money. Right. You know? Those yeah. guys didn't sell out. They made movies to make money. You know, it's, uh, he didn't sell out. But it is, it's convenient when these smaller movies or these crazier movies like Porky's and everything make so much money that the filmmaker gets to do what he wants. And I'm sure after that movie came out, they, they probably punched him in the arm and said, hey, good effort, good try, good try, you know. <laughs> and you can never tell in this business. It's, there's only one rule in the movie business, and that's that nobody knows anything. That's the most consistent rule, you know. I mean, this and movie, this, this, this movie took this people movie by. proves it, you know. Yeah, it, it took everyone by surprise. Like I said, it came out in 83. And, and it got released a little early. By Christmas time, it was out of the theaters, and people started clamoring for it, so much so that MGM was almost forced into re-releasing it the next year, which was the first time I got to see it in the theater. Yeah, and you know, when George came to college the next day when we were at Wright State, he was wearing, you know, his glasses with one of his eyes shot out in you know, the glass, and he had one of those TV guns. And we said, where in the heck have you been, George? He goes, you got to go see this movie with me. That's not true, is it, George? Yeah, his hair all slicked back, you know, and everything. It was really cool. Well, I have nothing to say about that. That's, that's in the past. That's totally in the past, yes. Had an immediate effect, though. Well, one of the things I also want to mention, this this film is really good in the way it deals with, with the lives of children because so many films 
show children, you know, in a certain way. They're either they're either totally wicked and vicious or they're little angelic children. This shows kids as kids, and I think one of the scenes that shows it, if you have it there, is the the scene in the playground when the kids are trying to um, to to get Flick to put his tongue. <laughs> on the uh, on the flagpole. How many people drive by a flagpole and think of that in the wintertime? Oh, I still know? do. Yes, indeed. I know you're out there. Yeah. You talked about sustaining itself. Here it is. Here's the scene. Exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. Huh, are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole, that's dumb. That's cause you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh yeah? Yeah! Like double dog dare ya! Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grave of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dumb. dare. I triple dog dare you! Hmm. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Yeah, Come on, <sighs> Well, go on, smartass, and do it. I'm going, I'm going. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There's no going back now. This is nuts. The bell rang. Gotta go. It really was lovely how it treated kids, and very realistic. Harsh, yeah. maybe, but but, but uh, kind of straight way. Yeah, and but they survive. They always survive, and they always bounce back. <laughs> but I think the the real high point is um, when you go when they go to the uh, um, when they go to the uh, department store. blank. Frantically, I tried to remember what it was I wanted. I was blowing it, blowing it. Come on, kid. 
How about a nice uh, football? 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 What's a football? <laughs> Without conscious will, my voice squeaked out. Football. Okay, get him out of here. A football? Oh, no! Okay, what was I doing? Wake up, stupid! Wake up! No! Ow! Shoot your eye out, kid. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And there was that foot. What an incredible piece of cinema that is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the neat thing about that is they, they shot that in the old Higby's store in Cleveland, Ohio, as they did many of the, uh, or most of the outdoor stuff uh, in the downtown area. And... Having come from Cleveland, I remember that store really well, so it's even more of a nostalgic kick. So on all accounts, this movie uh, holds its weight. It, it creates the world it exists in. It sustains that world. I mean, they gave incredible detail for creating this sort of late 30s, early 40s uh, Americana scene and absolutely sustains its relevance through time. Apparently, uh, Bob Clark has on two occasions been sort of eating at a random restaurant and found a family in the table nearby and noticed that they're doing the dialogue from the movie verbatim every no, Bob single... Clark's just in hell. He doesn't realize that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think one of the ways that this movie is really sustaining itself is the fact that about... Two years ago, the house that is used for the Parker's house in the movie, which is up in Cleveland, uh, was put up on sale on eBay and was purchased by a group that has now completely renovated and restored the house so it looks exactly like it did in the movie, inside and outside, and has opened it to the public as the Christmas Story House. And you can actually go up there, and I think for like five bucks, you can go through the house, and they have a museum across the street of memorabilia and whatnot from this movie. And that just blows my mind they did isn't that. it isn't it and as we conclude this episode of filmically perfect on 91.3 wyso uh jay todd you you made some special arrangements arrangements for our uh trivia question this time around yeah you mean regarding the prize regarding the, the, prize, the, the yes. house yeah it's two sets of tickets i believe to that house in cleveland ohio that people sent them to us um, in in regards that we were doing this show that's about, right about the perfect movie so that's so what we're giving away this week. So. we got two pairs of tickets, too. If you're uh, willing to take the drive up to Cleveland this holiday season, you could uh, pack the family in the car and uh, go see you the know, very scene. One thing I wanted to say before we shove off here, um, one of the character actors in this movie has done more stuff. Is Darren McGavin. <laughs> that the guy father. has done more movies than anybody. What, television? And I had the I had the privilege of meeting him when we were doing The Big Lebowski, and he was just a great, great guy. And it's my guess. My guess that I've, uh, at least a hundred of these uh, shows that he's done, television and movie, that this is what he's probably going to get remembered by. Is this yeah, movie? it's very funny. You know? yeah. I mean, he, he was, was a Night Stalker, he right? He was Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Yeah. yeah. But then so much television. I mean, the guy was the most flexible actor of all time, and he, he always projected. He was always interesting. And this is probably not only what he's going to be remembered by, but probably his finest work. <laughs> I think it's just sort of the, the way, the sort of, the, the very ease that he portrays in this part. He just seems very comfortable with it. And and he's just very funny. I mean, the way, you know, when he gets his, his leg lamp and he looks at the box and goes, oh, 
fragile. It must be Italian, you know. Yeah, and he totally know, means it. These kids are all really great in the and everything in this movie, and we can all relate to that. But for some reason, these parents in this picture, both uh, Darren McGavin and the woman that plays his wife, are going to hang with us, you know, because yeah. it's, this is part of what makes this movie perfect and what's going to sustain it is this uh, our ability to relate to these people. Well, I think unlike so many American films, the the parents are portrayed as real people, not not yeah. morons as they often are in American they're films. Flawed, they're, they're flawed. They're they're sometimes harsh, they're sometimes emotional and, and syrupy right. and they're but real. They they love each other and they love their kids and it's a very solid family unit and that's one of the I think that's also one of the things that makes it such a great movie is that even with all the bad things that happen, right to the Bumpus' house, yeah, no destroying Christmas dinner, yeah, these people sustain. They sustain, him. and this is come. You know, when this takes place around 1940, people are coming out of the the depression, and you got World War II looming, and you know, within another year or so, and these people are making it. So it's funny. Bob Clark will almost surely be remembered for this. Uh, mm-hmm. Darren. McGavin. No, McGavin will be almost surely from Peter Billingsley, the Peter young Billingsley. boy who plays the lead, Ralphie in this movie. He did many other things. Will almost surely yeah, be he'll remembered probably for be this. Like the, the little girl played. It was her name Azusu in the Frank Capra film, George. Um, oh, Zuzu. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. still does. I think she's still alive. She still does interviews. You know. Yeah, because um, she was Zuzu. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's in her seventies or almost eighty or something. I think that the guy that played the kids. Doing interviews uh, for a long, long, long time. Yep. And remembered for just that. We've been talking about a Christmas story, a perfect movie on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. If you would like to add your two cents, uh, toss them in the hat. We would love to hear from you. You can stop by the website for WYSO.org or visit perfectmovie.net. You can send these gentlemen, uh, J. Todd Anderson, storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers, and then some, an email, or speak to the Nitrate Film Archivist for the Library of Congress, J. Todd, pardon me, George Williman, by writing to filmguys at perfectmovie.net. And we love your comments. Your comments are all really great, and um, give us your comments on what you think is a perfect movie. Gentlemen, thank you once again. Nikki Dakota, it's always my pleasure. Back at you. Right? Don't shoot your eye out. J. Todd, come home soon, all right? Okay. Merry Christmas to all. George Willeman, thank you. Thank you much. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect. Coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.